This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Everybody, welcome to another edition of Tunnel Vision, a show brought to you by USCfootball.com. I'm your host, Keely York. Not sure what Ryan Abraham is doing over there. And the one laughing is Shotgun Spratly. I don't know what to do with my hands. <laughs> do something with them. <clears throat> Apparently, we're going to have a fun show today. We have a lot no. to talk about. Uh, USC is taking on Oregon State in the Coliseum on Saturday, the first uh, home game for Dante Williams as interim head coach. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about Jackson Dart. He's sidelined with a knee injury. Uh, we had a report go up earlier today that we'll talk about and give you more details about where he stands. Nice job on that one, Keely. Good scoop. Thank you, Way thank to you. go. And we'll talk about Keith Silvis. He was able to practice in the in the practices we saw Tuesday and Wednesday. So we'll share what, how, what we saw from him, how he's doing, and what we heard from him. It was a brief media session for him, but we'll talk about that. We also heard from Dante Williams this morning for his Thursday morning presser. Got some updates there as well, but we have a lot to talk about. So we'll definitely dive into all those topics. If you want to tweet at us, tweet us at us, hashtag tunnelvision. I'll put your tweet up on the screen. Wherever you're watching, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, put your comments, questions, concerns. We love hearing from you guys and answering your questions. No calls today, uh, so just put your questions in in the comment box, uh, and that's how we'll get to you guys. But like I said, guys, it's a packed show today. There's a lot going on mm -hmm. around the USC football program. Uh, just, you know, coming off the big win, 45 straight points against Washington State. Everyone's excited about Jackson Dart. Was there going to be a quarterback controversy? Then you go to practice Tuesday, Wednesday. No Jackson Dart. And like Keeley said earlier, uh, unfortunately, he had a meniscus injury and had minor knee surgery this week. So we don't know how long he's going to be out, but, you know, it's going to be out sometime. So uh, and I think John Wilner put it best. It's like, OK, USC is going to have to rely on their, you know, preseason all-conference quarterback, Keaton Slovis, who's been the starter for the last this is his third season. Uh, USC is going to be fine. He, you know, we haven't heard officially uh, from the coaching staff who's going to start. They've just kind of been kind of coy about it. But the fact that we got to see Keaton Slovis practice. Pretty good indication he's going to be the guy playing. Miller Moss is going to be his backup. Um, and in fact, we haven't seen Jackson Dart. You know, it was weird because, you know, I think you mentioned this on uh, on Instant Analysis on Tuesday. You know, we we heard from Dante Williams. He's like, yeah, if, if someone's not practicing, of course he's not going to play. I think specifically about Jackson Dart. He wasn't practicing, but they still weren't willing to say he wasn't going to play. But obviously uh, he's not going to. But I mean, I know USC fans were all in on Jackson Dart. I mean, don't forget all the great things that Keaton Slovis did. USC's going to be fine. They got their starting quarterback, and Miller Moss, I think, is a very capable backup. So thin, obviously, with only two scholarship quarterbacks available, but uh, USC should be fine with Keaton Slovis. Shaka, what did you see from both Slovis and Miller Moss <laughs> this week in practice? I mean, the, the biggest thing that was that Slovis could move his neck. I mean, yeah. he suffered a neck injury in that game on Saturday. Neck injuries are very scary. Um, the fact that he had to get x-rays on it, he could have had a broken neck. Uh, you know, they wanted to check and make sure that wasn't the case. He couldn't move his neck at all. I talked to him uh, briefly after the game, and basically I was standing beside him, and he had to turn his shoulders to face me. He couldn't turn his neck at all. Uh, a very, very limited mobility there. So he was back, was able to move. He had an MRI when he came back as well. That came back negative. So that's the that's the, the biggest news from, from uh, Keaton Slovis is that he was back practicing back to normal and was healthy. That's a big thing uh, there. So, you know, he's going to be the starter on Saturday. And as soon as I saw him back out there, 
That was my thought. Uh, even if Jackson Dart would have came back, wasn't practicing on Tuesday, yeah, came back Slovis Wednesday, Slovis still going to be the starter. They would like to have a Jackson Dart package in there, and that was something that Dante Williams talked about that was going into that Washington State game that they planned to implement, uh, you know, in short yardage situations or, you know, in a red zone type of thing. But didn't get that opportunity because, you know, their first drive is when Keaton Slovis got injured. Jackson Dart comes in, plays admirably, you know, really you know, terrific performance for a freshman. Some freshman ups and downs in that performance, sure. but uh, you know, 391 yards, four touchdowns, incredible performance there. Would have had five if uh, Gary Bryant didn't slip, actually, because <laughs> Gary Bryant he would have thrown it forward. You know, it would have been a touchdown, did, yeah, yeah. pass, not a, instead of a run. run. Yeah. So you know, the, the biggest thing on, on Tuesday was seeing that Keaton Slovis was healthy and throwing the ball. You know, even though Jackson Dart wasn't there, they'll have their starting quarterback back. And I thought Miller Moss looked, looked uh, fine. You know, he's going to be a, a guy that if you have to throw him in the mix, I don't think you are. You know, you're not crapping your pants or anything about right. it. Uh, you know, you're not scared. That's the worst Smith. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you're scared with him in there in the same regard that you may have been in the past. You know, when Matt Fink was a freshman or when right. some of the other guys were freshmen. I, I think that in this system, I think he's shown that he's perfectly capable. In the fall, he was, you know, he was competing as you know, one of the top guys, you know, he struggled a little bit in the spring and that was, I think part of the, the rust from not playing for a year and a half. But then in the fall, you know, he was in that competition each day. You were like, you know, is he the top guy? Is he, you know, second, you know, he was constantly up there battling. Uh, it was much more of a quarterback competition. I thought in the spring, I mean, in the fall than it was the spring. So I think he'll be perfectly fine if they need him to go in. It doesn't seem like my QB chaos theory is going to fully come no. uh, come to a effect <laughs> where if Slovis or Dart wasn't available and then Miller Moss went out and threw five or six touchdowns and then everyone was healthy. Then next everyone's week. like, yeah, everyone uh, that goes out there is amazing. So then, yeah, so you know that's what you ideally want. Yeah, you know everyone is performing well. I, I think a big thing this week we'll see can Keaton Slovis take that next step. Mm. The first two games he, he was playing and he was very patient. A lot of drop eight coverage from Stanford. You know, he's patient with those things. But there has to be times when you do force the ball down the field. And whether that's to Drake London, which he practiced on Wednesday, which is a really good sign for USC, or to someone else, you got to sometimes push it down the field a little bit more. I thought an interesting stat was Keaton Slowest, those first two games, was 5 of 10 on throws over, over 20 yards. You know, he has a great rating on it. This is something like a 97 grade on, on PFF. Jackson Dart was also 5 of 10 in one game. Wow. Just, okay. Just showing that he's taking more chances there than Keaton Slovis is. Now, part of that is the defense that Washington State played a lot more man coverage yes. versus the you know drop eight. But there were opportunities in that game against Stanford where they could have pushed it a little bit more if they get a little bit better blocking up front, too, uh, from the tight ends and from those those edge, uh, you know, taking on those edge defenders that are coming at them. Mm -hmm. Can I give a quick hot take? Sure. Tuesday practice, okay? You guys yes. were there early. Yes. Guys coming out of the tunnel. What I thought everyone was talking about is Jackson Dart wasn't there, right? He did not arrive. I thought th the bigger news is not that Jackson Dart wasn't there. It was your starting quarterback was, that he came out in full pads, that he went in and he practiced the entire time. And it just seemed to be that got lost in the shuffle because the backup quarterback wasn't going to be there, you know? So, I mean, I don't, I'm not quite sure I understand it all, but, you know, I think USC fans should be like, okay, your starting quarterback's there. The guy was on the preseason Heisman list and all that stuff. Yes, it's not been the, you know, the, Smooth the sailing so far, but I mean, I think you should have a lot of confidence if you're a USC fan just because your starting quarterback is still there. Yeah. Um, just to clarify some confusion in the comments that I'm seeing. So uh, Jackson Dart has a meniscus tear. He underwent surgery uh, earlier in the week to fix that. Um, out of the three major like knee injuries, ACL, MCL, meniscus tear, meniscus is like the most, um, it's the least serious of the, the three. So we don't have a full understanding of his recovery time right now, but it is not as as bad as like an ACL where you're definitely out for months and months. Shotgun, I know you dropped into the peristyle thread and put more context. Yeah, I was reading up on the meniscus tears. And the interesting thing is there's two different ways to go about it. You can repair it and that's you know basically stitching it back together and that ends up being much better in the long run um, because the meniscus is kind of the cushioning that that you know for the knee uh, for the bones as they you know kind of can potentially impact um, but then you can also if there's a slight tear and like a repair sometimes the repair is not going to you know end up healing very well there's not a ton of circulation at that part of the knee then you just go in and snip it. And so you can, you know, basically depending on the tear and each one is kind of unique from what I've been reading. Uh, so, you know, you can have 
a major tear, a very slight tear. You can make just a little tiny snip. You can kind of rub rub off the the rough edges type of type of thing, or it can be a, a full on you know repair. And if it's a repair, that's when it can be three, four, five, six months type of, of recovery. If it's just a little snip. Um, you know, then it can be as short as, you know, three weeks, you know, I've seen. And, you know, looking at some of the players, you look at some of the pro athletes that have gone through with it, and they're going to be allowed to push themselves back a little bit quicker than college players because, you know, it's their bodies. They're yeah. making tons of money. You don't want to you don't want to push, uh, you know, a college player back way too early. But like Joel Embiid had a slight meniscus tear and played through it in the playoffs this past year in the NBA. Now, he missed one or two games, but he was still able to play. He wasn't quite the same, didn't have the same explosion, but he was able to play. Um, but I think it's going to be something that'll be – I think you're looking at it, and it could be two very different timelines, but I think the quickest timeline is like bye week. You know, if it's only a three-week yeah. type thing, then bye week is the earliest for Keaton, uh, excuse me, Jackson Dart. And then the, the on the other end could be all the way to 2022. When he's back, so I, I think it, it, we don't really know because there's two actually there's actually two different meniscus as well. There's a lateral and um, for blanking on it right now, but there's two different type and which one you tear can you know can determine the, the length of it as well. So you know there's a lot of different uh, different things that could be here that you know could be completely could have been gone in for surgery, one little snip, and they're like, okay, we'll have him back in a couple weeks type of thing, or yeah. could have been in like you know, and you never know until you actually get in. So. Uh, unless we somehow find the doctor and see <laughs> they perform the surgery. We'll work on that, maybe. <laughs> now, a lot of the questions are wondering what this means for a potential redshirt for Dart. Could he save his eligibility by essentially having this injury? Not that he planned it, but you know what I mean. I mean, you could, you could redshirt him. He's, what, played? Is it, he played two? Did he no, come just in one for game. just the one game? Yeah, so I mean... He's got three he, more games. Yeah, he could play it if he comes back later and plays the last three games. He would be fine to... To red shirt, but I mean, I don't think that's as, as important right now. This isn't a video game where you're like stockpiling people. Like, <laughs> if Jackson Dart comes in and he starts next year, like Keen goes to the NFL and he like crushes it, he'd be like Sam Darnold. You red shirt one year and then you're gone after your third year. So, I don't think yeah. the red shirt like matters all that much. If he's going to be the kind of star that many of the fans think he's going to be, um, I wouldn't worry about the red shirt because then he'd probably be gone three years either way, red shirt or not. And I actually asked Dante Williams about red shirting this morning because there's been a couple of players, a couple of freshmen that have basically played one snap in games. Now that's because they're on certain special teams and those special teams only uh, only are getting in uh, for, for a certain amount. Um, but, you know, like a Zamarian Gordon came in as a reserve on the kickoff coverage unit. So he played one snap. Well, he's got three games left now that you can play. You know, and, and it'd be great if he can get in on defense in a game like that. Yeah. And then they got a lot of young guys in, and that's great for them to get that experience. But if he only gets one one play here, and sometimes guys don't get to their four game limit. But you know, if you you somehow you get lose a couple safeties and he's thrown in, now you get in that Keenan Kristen area where you go, did we use that game too early? You know, how many games do we want to play him? You know, who's back healthy? And Keenan Christen, they decided not to use that red shirt, uh, you know, a couple years ago, and you know, kept kept running with him. But that's kind of the, the the limbo that you're in with a quarterback like Jackson Dart, who you know we think has the potential to be special. You're not going to worry about it. Yeah, that's not. I wouldn't worry too much about red shirting or not. Especially yeah. because of how coveted quarterbacks are in the NFL. Yeah, guys go out early. You know, so guys usually get to three years and start looking and seeing. All right, where's my draft status? If I'm a potential first-round pick, then I'm gone, you know, just because there's so much money on the table for those guys. Yeah. Now, as far as other injury updates for USC, uh, we didn't see Drake London practice on Tuesday. He was limited to conditioning, but he did come back on Wednesday. Shotgun, what does that mean for this uh, wide receiving group? Obviously, it's a good thing, given that uh, London is such a beast. I mean, we don't like to guess on injuries, which is why it's usually much better for the coaching staff to, you know, explain what the injury is. All indications were concussion protocol. Yeah. You know, everyone looking at that. He left the game early, came back with shades on at the end of the game, you know, just seeing the replay and what it looked like. Um, the fact that he's back practicing is huge because it's not like, oh, well, you know, maybe he twinged his ankle again. Once you come back from concussion pro protocol, you're basically back. Yeah. Now, you know, the, the hope and the prayer is that you don't go back into concussion protocol ever, and, you know, you don't have to worry about that. But um, so him being back means he should be available on Saturday. 
Um, now, as far as you, sorry, Ryan, were you wanting to? No, no, no. Yeah, okay. he, I mean, he's not someone that you're worried about practicing. I'm like, oh, he, yeah, he didn't practice on Tuesday. I'm not sure he's going to be able to play. That's like, no, he's fine. You and, know what? You're going to do. <laughs> and that's even one of the things that Dante Williams said. I think Monday, they're all blurred it's together. Blurring, yeah. um, but he said, you know, if he's not able to practice this week, that's not the worst thing because he's had so much usage the first couple of weeks yeah. that, you know, give him time to rest the body. Because even in practice, you know, he doesn't shy away from contact mm. ever. Goes you know, hard. He goes, you know, if a, a DB's coming up and they think they're just going to give a little thump, he's giving that thump back. So, uh, you know, just rest the body up for him a little bit and, and give him a, a little bit of free, uh, free time this week. He got some routes on air and stuff, and that's really all we could see because it was the first 50 minutes on Wednesday. Um, but just seeing that is, is a very positive sign, I think. Mm -hmm. Now, Shotgun, I know you study games extensively. I'm curious what your thoughts were on USC's offensive line performance against Washington State. I know you got to talk to Liam Jimmons. I talked to Clay McGuire, but I'm just curious what you saw. You know, as I continue to watch it and going back, and I'm you know pretty deep into studying, uh, studying it right now, is that the offensive line wasn't good enough. But they're also getting a little bit of bad rap. They're not getting a lot of help. The tight ends are just, they're not getting the job done at all. And it's its devastating both the run game and, at times, the pass protection as well, too. When they keep them in the pass protect, you know, you've seen guys get blown by at times. Um, and, like, I, you remember they, they get the goal line stand, they try to run the ball two times in a row, uh -huh. and you go, wow, they didn't get a yard at all. The offensive line's got to do better. There was a pretty big hole on one of them if the skill players, the two tight ends and the wide receiver, were blocking. But they weren't. So it was no gain. The next play, tight ends again. You know, the guy goes right in front of Eric Cromanhook and goes and makes the tackle. So, you know, they're getting a little bit of bad rap on, on the run game there. And I think part of it is, you know, with the game plan that Washington State had, and it was very similar to last year when USC only ran for five yards. But if you put 45 points on the board, are you really upset with only, right. you know, the limited run? They can definitely do better. They need to hold their blocks better, um, and they really struggled on the edges. Both tackles, Jonah Monheim really struggled in that first half, and they replaced him with Jalen McKenzie, who was a little bit better. Uh, but at times, Cortland Ford struggled a little bit. They struggled in, in, in general with a lot of the twists and stunts and movement that Washington State had. And that's the same thing that Liam Jimmins told me this week that Brett Nealon said after the game. I think Clay McGuire said the same thing. Yeah. Uh, so that's something they really were working on this week, and they're trying to get that cleaned up because you know – as much as they struggled on it early in that game, you're going to see it from Oregon State. You're going to see it next week in Colorado. Oh, yeah. They're going to make you. They're going to make you prove that okay, we got that fixed. Um, and before you know, they stop doing it. So uh, I, I think the offense line gets a little bit of a bad rap from that game, but they've got to be a lot better too. They got you know they they should have been better prepared for that. And that was one of the things Liam Jimmins said that stood out to me. He said that they just weren't they did, didn't they didn't do enough reps against that type of, of defensive front. Um, so you know that it took them a little bit of time to get adjusted to it. And it, two two quarterbacks getting hurt. That's not going to go well yeah. either. So. Yeah. I mean, that's what I thought was interesting from Clay McGuire. He basically said they didn't play hard enough. They didn't play hard enough and they didn't prep them well enough. And he was like, maybe we went too lax on them in practice, but they didn't give the effort that is required. And so I thought that was an interesting and, and blunt moment from it's, McGuire. That's, that's baffling that that would be said in like a, a week where you fired the head coach. Like this is like the if there's any week you're going to be like, hey, dude, we're going as hard as we possibly can. It's the week your head coach gets fired. So that was a weird one. That didn't go over so well on social media when you tweeted that out, Keely. Yeah. One of the interesting things is Washington State was a much different game plan than they saw against San Jose State or Stanford. You know, a lot of teams have decided we're going to drop as many guys in the coverage as we can. If we can get a little bit of pressure, that's great. Washington State said, we're going to come after them. And, you know, they did it with Keaton Slovis, and then they did it, you know, especially when they got a freshman quarterback in there. We're going to bring a lot of heat and force them to make quicker decisions, get the ball out quickly. Um, and they blitzed a lot, left man coverage. That's why a guy like Drake London had such a big game because constant man coverage there. Um, but it'll be interesting. One of the things the offensive line didn't do great, I didn't think, was identifying where the pressures were coming from. Mm. So Washington State oftentimes would have seven guys near the line of scrimmage. Two guys are dropping, yeah. some guys are dropping, you know, so they were trying to confuse the offensive line. I think they struggled a little bit with that. And then with the twists and stunts, they just weren't communicating well enough. Brett Nealon said that they did go to more zone blocking. Uh, that was one of the adjustments they made in-game. And said just, you know, don't chase your guy out of your zone. Just stay where you're at, and someone else is basically going to be coming to you uh, with those, you know, those zones and switches and things that they were doing on the defensive line. So that was an interesting adjustment. I thought that it took them a little bit too long, and I thought they still could have run the ball a little bit better. 
you know, you saw like the Keontae Ingram run where they get a couple good blocks. He gets out for like 12 yards in the, the third quarter, I think it was. That's what they were capable of. But again, I, I think they need some help too. They need some help from those skill positions, you know, the tight ends, you know, the running backs when they stay in the block for the, the quarterbacks you know, on pass plays and stuff. That stuff needs to be, you know, upped as well as the offense line. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, on the other side of the ball, it was basically DB Palooza against Washington <laughs> State. Shocking. What do you do now if you see guys like Kalen Bullock kind of show out like that? And we've seen him in the fir- first couple th- games. Be impressive. I mean, you got to find a way to get that guy on the field, and that's that's tough because you got three veterans, you know, and Greg Johnson, Chase Williams, and Isaiah Palmau, and Kalen Bullock is versatile enough that you can play him in different spots. If he can, you know, it's hard to say that, hey, you want to put him at one position and then a next drive, put him at a different position. If he can handle that, that's what you want to do. And it becomes a four-man rotation in different spots with Kalen Bullock. If you want him to just focus on one spot and he rotated in a little bit with Isaiah Polamau in the Stanford game because Isaiah was coming back from COVID and, you know, the conditioning aspect, he played the entire game basically as the, the high safety because they had four guys on. Chase Williams was playing basically a full linebacker. I thought he did really well. The Washington State offensive lineman really tried to punish him when they could get their hands on him. But I thought he did a great job of making adjustments and beating them to spots. Like that, the tackle right before the strip sack, you know, he makes the play on Max Borgie in the backfield. Mm-hmm. And he just beat a lineman there. So I, I thought he played really well in a unique position, you know, the same thing that Talanoa Hufunga did last week. So it's hard to take any of those guys off the field, I think. But, you know, I think he's the, a stud. Yeah. <laughs> he, that play, the, the interception was, was just a, you know, that's something that you'll see in clinics. Like that was a perfect, perfectly played ball on that. Um, you know, he went and became the receiver, intercepted. So that's the type of things that he's been doing on, you know, when he's covering guys, he's closing out with terrific speed. There were twice, there were third, third and like seven or eight, and they threw quick outs thinking, okay, we'll catch, catch the ball and get up the field for a couple of yards. No, he shoved him out of bounds, two yards short. They went for it once and got it. The other time they punted. But, uh, you know, he, he's just, he's been terrific. Yeah. And they got to find a way to get him on the field, and whether that's rotation or whatever, we'll see. Uh, but uh, another guy that I thought has played well, real quick, you know, you know, he's big time because when Chris Chris Trevino was interviewing him after practice on Wednesday, Gavin Morris comes up <laughs> doing his Instagram story, comes behind him and asks him a question in there. So Gavin Morris is bringing the freshman into his Instagram stories. You know, the guy's big time. So <laughs> and, just say, and, and, and that the it's it just you know that's the, that's the litmus test or whatever. Like oh, Gavin Morris put you on his Instagram story. Like okay, he's a stud. <laughs> on the other end of the spectrum is a veteran that you know we weren't expecting necessarily a ton from. Jaden Williams. Mm. He continues to impress me. There was a terrific interception before the interception. I was like, man, he's been playing really well today. Um, and they were rotating three cornerbacks. You know, Josh Jackson, him, and Isaac Taylor Stewart at the outside positions because Chris Steele was playing in the slot. So they're rotating the other guys. We'll see if he can find his way into some yeah. more opportunities because he's pl- he played really well in the San Jose State game when he had some opportunities as well. So, you know, he's an interesting guy to keep an eye on because he was kind of dropped down the depth chart and, you know, an older guy. And you think about some of those guys that come in and it's a new coach that didn't recruit them. And those guys oftentimes can be passed over, but sure. he's continued to work and has done a terrific job. And congratulations on that first career interception for him. That was nice. Yeah, I mean. When people ask, like, what's the strength of the team? I go, I think it's the DBs. Like, there's just there's a veteran starting group. There's a bunch of young players and like guys like Williams that can step in and and he's been around a while too and can play. So they just look like, like a lot of guys that could play in the secondary. Mm-hmm. Now, Ryan, you and I previewed a little bit Oregon State in the mm. Parasol podcast that is up now. If you want to listen to that, uh, but we were saying this is not your normal Oregon State team. It's a little scrappier than usual, right? I mean, this is so Jonathan Smith. I think you know pound for pound, one of the best coaches in the Pac-12 for what he does. Uh, very, you know, the the staff has been together. It's a cohesive unit. This is their fourth year altogether. Now, I think. They've had some opportunities to make strides forward. It looks like this is a team that's improving. Um, they, you know, Chase Nolan now is the quarterback. If they started him the whole game, I think against Purdue, they probably would have won that opener on the road. But pretty good showing against a, a Big Ten opponent to open the season. I think USC is going to have their hands full with Oregon State. I mean, they can, uh, you know, they can be balanced on offense. Uh, you know, I, Nolan's been throwing the ball well. I think he's an effective guy. They've scored in the 40s the last two games against inferior opponents for sure. Uh, Hawaii and in Idaho, but this is a team I think that can put some points up on. You're going to put pressure on your defense, put pressure on that secondary we talked about, and they can do some good things on defense and force some negative plays. And yeah, I think they can, they're susceptible to give up some big plays too. And that's where USC's bread is buttered most of the time, making those big plays. But we, this USC offense has been able to be disrupted and not have 
the long drives or fail in the red zone. And I think this is an Oregon State team that can take advantage of that. So this is one of those things where USC just can't come in and sleepwalk through this game because you're probably going to get a pretty consistent view from Oregon State. Like it's going to be an above average showing. Like they're they're just well coached. They don't seem to like have real clunkers of games. USC is going to have some clunkers. So I don't think USC can have a clunker in this game and expect expect to win. So I think USC plays an above average game. They'll be fine. But I think they got to do that. And this is the first home game for Dante Williams. So I think it's a certainly a capable opponent that can do some things and get some shots in. USC is a double digit favorite in this one again. We'll see if they're able to, uh, you know, run them out of the Coliseum. They should, they're capable of doing it, but will they? I, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. So to give you some stats about this Oregon State team, they're number three. They're third in the the Pac-12 with scoring offense with 36 points per game. Uh, they also boast the number one total offense in the Pac-12 with 452.7 yards per game. They've only allowed three sacks this season, which is actually tied for first with USC. They've only allowed eight tackles for loss, which is first in the Pac-12. So some stats there to give you some context about this team. But Shaken, can you uh, predict? what this USC team will do at this point? Because I feel like we don't have a large sample size. <laughs> That's a question you could ask for like 15 years now. Yeah. <laughs> okay, fair. Well, I don't know. Like even under Pete Carroll and they're like, go to Oregon State. I guess you could predict because you'd be like, oh, when they go to Oregon State or Washington State, watch out. They, you know, they don't play their best in those type of games. They don't get up for it. Uh, but since Pete Carroll, no, it's – You'll see a team and you're like, I don't know, they might struggle with Cal this weekend. And they go up and like they get a pump block and just destroy Cal. Yes. Um, you know, that's what they're capable of any week. You know, a, a team like Utah, La, you know, Matt Fink, you're like, oh, they lost their starting quarter, but this, I don't think they can hang, hang with what it was number three Utah at the time. Yeah, men were four, something like that. Yeah, top. Yeah, you're like, oh, this is over. And then they just YOLO rated up like it's nothing. <laughs> So they've been very difficult to understand and comprehend sometimes the way they played, but it is technically a new regime. Yeah, um, I guess you would consider it a new regime. Sure, you know it's the same coaches, but one guy's gone, so one guy's now leading. So maybe it's different. Anyway, the, I think that until they prove a, prove that they come out and lay a clunker, we can't say that they're going to do that. You know, so I, I think I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt for now. And we'll see. They've got to come out and play loose, though. That's the thing. They, yes. they all were pressing in that first half. Every trying single coach perfect. we've talked to yeah. has mentioned that. Uh, I just think they were trying to do too much. All right, well, can't do that anymore. So does Dante make an adjustment to how he tries to hype the team up or how they, you know, what they try to do coming out to you know get going, get rolling a little bit um, versus last week? So that'll be something to keep an eye on as well. But I think they're fully capable of doing that. Yeah, They've got more talent. Do they have the talent in the right places? That's a big question with USC right now. I have a feeling special teams is going to play a role here. And we've seen some bo a below average performances. It got better against Washington State. I feel like there's going to be like a big play. Like it's going to be exciting. Maybe a kick return for a touchdown. Maybe a punt block. I feel like something is going to be really good on special teams. They did get the what was the fumble recovery on the kickoff mm -hmm. return against Washington State. But I feel Forced like there's it. going to be a big play where it's not just like an average special teams day or below, like it'll be an above average, like the field position and help it out, but also some kind of big play. So watch for that. That's just a feeling I got. We'll see. Mm -hmm. Alrighty. Before we jump into questions, I just want to highlight shotgun. You got to ask Dante Williams, some important housekeeping questions as far as personnel. Uh, what do you have to say to your rapid questions? fire? Boom, boom, yeah. boom. Yeah. I just wanted to start off with it and be like, <laughs> we haven't got updates on these guys in a bit. So let's go with it. Uh, Brew McCoy, Keenan Kristen asked about both those guys. I asked if Brew McCoy, if he expected him back this year, it said status is unchanged. I asked about Keenan Kristen because we haven't seen him the last couple of weeks. Uh, if you're a member of the P, you'll know why, uh, because we've had that in the war room and Keeley had that. So, But status unchanged. Both those guys, I think, are both currently suspended from team activity, yes. so status unchanged. Yeah, And that's probably going to be the answer we get if we asked every 15 minutes for the rest of eternity <laughs> right. until something changes. Status yeah. unchanged. Um, I also asked about Frank Martin and Mananoa Tufono, who are two guys that we basically haven't seen. Like at all in the fall since the We fall. saw Frank Martin, I think, one fall practice, okay. and that was it. Um, and Dante Williams said academic issues, which I don't think is actually correct on Frank Martin. I think he's working on his second master's degree or something. Um, so I don't think maybe it's an academic struggle, issue. Struggling with his thesis, maybe. I don't know. what the <laughs> Maybe that's his issue. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but – 
not with the team. Manoa's not with the team. I was just trying to get see if they're still on the roster, if they're still on scholarship, you know, because we have our scholarship charts and everything yeah. on on uscfootball.com. Um asked about Solomon Tule Alapupu cuz we saw him, he was not dressed on Saturday. Uh, he held up the screen basically so that the press box couldn't look at USC signs. He and Nick Figueroa were the two guys that traveled that did not dress out. But uh, this week, he wasn't back in practice either, you know, as far as being a participant. You know, he looked pretty down, um, you know, just at practice. He just looked off by himself and, like, just, you know, upset about having an injury. So I asked if his knee had flared up, and he just said, Dante Williams said that, you know, it's just dings, nicks. Uh, so he's not going to go in specifics about what, right. what a player is injured from. And then someone else asked about Jackson Dart, and he said he's not practicing. We'll see on Saturday. <laughs> and then, obviously, Keeley has since uh, broken the news that he had meniscus surgery. Yeah. Oh, Keeley's muted Sorry, herself. I muted myself. My bad. Uh, well, let's jump into questions. Yes. First one is from Ken, who says, where's Corey Foreman? Currently, no. He, he played. He had two tackles against Washington State, right? So, I mean, yeah, he played about twenty something snaps, um, which was the most that he's had. And so, the first two games, he was basically in on one package, the pass rush package, and he third down in, thing. Sub, yeah. yeah, subbed in a little bit uh, because Drake Jackson got banged up in that San Jose State game. Stanford game, he didn't practice basically during the week, and the coaches have, have told us that you know we can only give him as much as he can take as far as when he's at practice, and that's what Vic Soto has said multiple times is he'll play as much as you know the much as he can take. Uh, so that's injury wise, and then just knowing the playbook, knowing what he's supposed to be doing on those type of things. But he got a lot more playing time in this game. He was being subbed in and out for Drake Jackson, so he was getting some drives to himself, you know, three, four, five plays in a row, which is the first time we've seen that. And he made a couple of really nice plays. Didn't have, you know, the big explosive play yet, and I think that'll come. But I think it was good to get him, you know, 20-something snaps um, on defense and, and for him to see that tape, go back, start studying it, and see what you can do better. Uh, but he made a couple of plays. The very first play, I think it was, when he was in, just shoves an offensive lineman off the way and goes and makes a tackle right at the line of scrimmage. And, you know, that's it was a grown man play. And you go, okay, that's what he's capable of. Let's see if we can build on that and if they can continue to to get that type of performance from him. He came cl he did he had a couple nice plays where he's not gonna get credit for anything. Like one of them, Jaden Delora throws the ball completely out of bounds because he wanted to throw a quick uh slant. Corey Foreman jumps up. He can't throw the window and then Chase Williams is on Jaden Delora. So knowing that the pressure's coming from somewhere else. If I just get my hands up and get in the way, he can't make that throw. The other guy's going to get, the, you know, those are s small, subtle things where you don't get credit for a deflection. You don't get right. credit for a tackle or anything else, but you're the one that made the play. Yeah. So those are the type of plays that he's capable of. Drake Jackson did that a couple times. The touch, the first touchdown that Washington State had, Drake Jackson read it, got his hands on it, but it still tipped right to Travell Harris and he turns inside and was able to make the touchdown. But, you know, those are the type of plays he's going to watch Drake Jackson. You know, I, th I think he will probably watch that strip saying, mm, I want one oh, of those. I get one of those. I yeah. want one of those. <laughs> we got a question from Bob on Facebook who wanted to know, who's on the depth chart after Miller Moss as far as quarterbacks? Uh, Walk-ons. I mean, uh, Mohassan is out still. He was actually yeah. throwing the football around a little bit for some of the throwing lines, but he's not. He's going to be out for the year. Uh, who's the yeah? Who's the walk-ons that's up the, next? The thing is, they got Brendan Costello, Brendan Costello from Oklahoma State, who was a scholarship player there, former uh, Triton from San Clemente, followed Sam Darnold and then Jack Sears, and became the quarterback. Then he's a guy that you know he's a shorter guy that runs a little bit more, does some things like that. But he would probably be the next guy up. Um, you know, of the other options, I mean, you got Isaac Ward, you got Brad Aoki, I think it is, um, and then Mo Hassan, if he was healthy, he would be the guy, but he's got 20 ACL. He's be able to throw and stuff now, but I don't yeah. think he's going to be back anytime no, soon. No, he's not going to be, but yeah. I mean, that's someone that was a Division One quarterback. Yeah. That's great. That's that's a good option. But I mean, very similar to Mo Hassan, who was a, was a walk-on when he came to USC as well, is that, hey, this guy's got some experience uh, in the SEC. He's played, he started at Vanderbilt a game. So, yeah. you know, those type of walk-ons are really can be critical at a position like that where you can do more than just handoff, and that's all you can do. Uh, so, you know, hopefully you don't get to that point. Hopefully you don't have Maryland 2014 or 13, whatever it was. Oh, my God, yeah. Chris Trevino was here. He would know exactly what I'm talking about. Yes. They, they went through like five quarterbacks and had a, um, a walk-on linebacker, I think, who had yeah. played some – uh, played some quarterback in high school, so he was the guy. So <laughs> that's tough. Crazy. Hopefully, it doesn't come anywhere close to that. 
Uh, Andrew said, knowing it's an interim staff, do you guys feel more free to ask the coach tough questions? There is no issue ever asking coaches tough questions. I know USC fans didn't like the answers, but it's like we would ask the coaches all that stuff. Like, why didn't you do this? Well, what's going on with this? And Clay Helton was just someone that, you know, would give you the fluffy, rosy answer. When I asked him, like, what could you guys have done better? I literally, like after the Stanford game, you know, you're a 17-point favorite. You get, you're down by 29 in the fourth quarter. What could you guys have staff have done better? And he said, we had a good game plan. He just talked about positives. And it just, you know, we can't force them to say anything. So I don't think we're going to ask Dante Williams any kind of different questions than we asked Clay Helton. Now we're getting different kind of answers from Dante Williams. Not <laughs> There's not a lot of fluff involved in his answers. It's going to be short, quick, and to the point. Um, and you can, like, shotgun can rattle off, like, five questions in the time Clay Helton would answer one. But a lot of the Clay Helton answers would be, like, there's a lot of superfluous words around, like, not much of an answer. Dante Williams just going to give you not much of an answer and then just end it, and that's it. I just think there were there were a lot of questions asked this morning in the time span that, that we had. Normally we yeah. get about, I think, about 20 minutes on Thursday mornings. And it can be, with Helton, it could be six to eight questions uh, with an opening monologue as well. With Dante Williams, I think I asked, like, eight or nine questions myself. <laughs> so... You know, there were a lot of questions that they were able to throw because he's going to give you an answer and give it quick. And, you know, it's not not going to be the answer we want every time, yeah. like an injury update or something. But he's going to give it and give it quick and move on to the next one. I got a couple good answers out of it or like longer ones. Like sometimes you get a the short one. Like I asked him, like, what did you learn from week one to week two? And he gave us a sort of longer answer to that. And then also I asked him about and, you know, this is something you had brought up. He said that they, were, they had five penalties. There was five penalties too many. They were going to have referees at practice. And we didn't see referees on Tuesday. And we didn't, and, and you guys were there Wednesday, didn't see referees again. Yeah. And he said, there's apparently a shortage of refs. And he wanted these. Like, I feel like I lied to people, but I was like, no, I tried to get him out. But he was there. Like, he would call a holding. He's like, this is weird for me to be calling holding <laughs> on my defensive backs. But um, so he said, we're going to get him there next week. So uh, so those he kind of gave, like, longer answers to. But when it was ever something, like, specific about the team, he just seemed to be, like, kind of more shut down about it. You know, it was interesting. I thought he might just go, man, I was hoping you guys wouldn't bring that up uh, with the referees just because he's like, man, I felt bad because I felt like I, I was lied to to the team because he said that, that he was going to bring referees in. And then to find out is like there's a shortage. And that's something that actually is the case. Uh, there's been a shortage of umpires, too, I know, uh, oh. from, from covering baseball that it can be an issue. There's shortage in uh, high school referees and um, uh, football officials right now, too. Oh, so, wow. uh, it, How does that happen? Pandemic is one thing, mm. um, you know, and just who wants to be a referee? <laughs> like, wow. no one, like, no one wants to be a referee because you just get verbally abused all the time, yeah. whether yeah. you're doing your job or not. Like, you're constantly being harassed. Like, it's not a very, it's not a, a job that's in the limelight. Like, oh, that's, that's oh, glitzy. Yeah. <laughs> you got to love it. Fair. I think there's some people that do and. You know, but yeah, it's it's thankless because you could do exactly you thankless. call an amazing game, and the other the team that lost is going to think you suck. You know, so yeah, their fans especially. Yeah. Yes, Alex said, uh, "Will Miller Moss play this Saturday? Would that be a good thing or a bad thing?" Uh, you could script it both ways. Could be both. Like if he plays because USC is blowing them out, that would be nice. He was <laughs> he. No one was happier to get in one play of the game. Than Miller Moss, he was just glowing when he got talk about getting into a game. He hadn't played; he didn't play last year in high school. It's like first time I was on the field for two years. Crazy. He was very happy about that. Um, so if USC is fortunate and they blow out Oregon State and he gets to come in the game, that would be awesome. But if it's you know Keaton Sofis gets hurt, <laughs> then Miller Moss has to play. Obviously, not the the greatest. And it's an opportunity for him, just like it was an opportunity for Dart. And you know maybe Moss goes off, and who knows? But um, yeah, so I think it could go like Keeley said; it could go either way. Uh, Hugo said, how do you think the conversation went with Slovis? Do you think seeing Dart play last Saturday woke up a quote-unquote sleeping giant in him? And do you believe this will ultimately help Slovis? I like that because uh, it's, you know, there's like if you're, you know, if we have Keely is our host here, right? She does a great job producing the show. And then for some reason, <laughs> where is this going? <laughs> she's sick. She can't come. And like Trevino comes in and I like show him how to run the board and let him do it. And. You know, he's not the most comfortable and, like, kills it, making everyone laugh and all that stuff. And Keely's like, hey, that's nice that you came in and did a good job. But there's something that she's like, well, I'm going to make sure I do a good job the next time I sit down in that hey, chair. Hey, I don't show up to, to practice complacent, Ryan. No. And uh, <laughs> I would say the same sort of thing. It's like you can get complacent if you're you're the guy. You you did all the media tours. You were the, uh, you know, the preseason award list dude and you were media day guy and all that. 
Well, there's someone else right behind you that's very capable of doing his job. That's what you know coming out of this. Like Jackson Dart is very capable of handling the USC quarterback job. So I think it's it's motivation for for Keaton Slovis for sure. And if you know if Jackson Dart was available, it could be more motivation. But the fact that he wasn't there, I don't know. Maybe it, it tempers out a little bit. But I think it's certainly something that could motivate Slovis. Yeah, I think that Sean Cody had a great you know great point of view on this. Um, he said when he was a junior. He was getting ready. He's on draft boards and stuff. Uh, he's got, you know, he's on All American watch list coming into the year. And Manny Wright, the freshman, comes in, five star guy. And, you know, Sean's kind of, you know, feels like he's resting on his laurels a little bit. Ed Orgeron gets on him and said, Manny's making plays. You better watch out. <laughs> and he goes, Okay, I got to turn it up to another level and take it to another level. And I think that's great. That's, that's the whole competition aspect that yes. you're always looking for. And if that is the case with Slovis, I think it's great. I think it's exactly what you're hoping happens from what happened last weekend. You know, Slovis gets injured, Dart gets injured, Dart's not going to be available. You hope Slovis says, all right, I got to take it into the level. And maybe he even looked at Dart and said, look at how much fun he's having. Look how free he's playing with it. He's not worried about it. He's pressing the ball down the field. I got to do that a little bit more and take some pieces from what Jackson Dart did in that game that Keaton Slovis was doing two years ago when he was a freshman. So if he gets back to that, you can press the ball down the field and not throw it into double or triple coverage like you know the drop eight stuff against BYU. Uh, that's the the thing. So if he can take a little bit and then stay patient like he was against Stanford against their drop eight coverage, I think then he has a chance to to really take a step forward. But we gotta see what happens with him if he's playing with that confidence and and goes out there and just you know slinging it around. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what Oregon State does. They play more of a three four kind of scheme. They could do some some things like what we saw Washington State do, where you're not sure where the blitzes are coming from, and you know the problem is like remember that BYU game, like sometimes BYU was dropping eight and rushing three, but they would do some stunts and like the three against five would win, you know, and like you can't have that. It was three against seven on one play. <laughs> they kept the running back in, they kept Chroman hook in, and they still got there. Yeah, that was one of, like that was one of the ones we pointed out on film study that week. It's like that can't happen. No. So USC has to, you know, you could double team every guy and have an extra safety somewhere. For you, you gotta, <laughs> they've gotta take a step forward from where they were last week. They played pretty well the first two weeks. The offensive line, the the pass blocking in total, um, they gotta bounce back from last week. And we saw some of the cornerbacks do that last week. Isaac Taylor Stewart, Chris Steele. I thought they had really nice games against Washington State. You know, Chris Steele's moves inside to the slot position. He's going against Washington State's best receivers of the two slot positions two slot receivers, which is why they moved him inside. And I thought he had a really good game. And Isaac Taylor Stewart he was targeted twice, no catches. So those guys bounced back from struggling against Stanford. So now let's see if the offensive line can do the same thing. And speaking of uh, just circling back to the Keenan Slovis comment, uh, Dante Williams did say this morning that he saw someone who came to practice and came hungry. So apparently it's a little fire, it seems like, under yeah. uh, Keenan Slovis. We got a question from Andrew, who said, do you think they let Drake Jackson rush the passer more this week and quit having him drop into coverage? This is getting way overblown. Mm -hmm. And I think partly it's getting overblown because Brock Hewitt said it on the broadcast. Oh. And he's like, he's always, you know, he's got to, and when he got the strip sack, he's like, oh, he's got to do that all the time. He didn't note that the first sack that USC got was because Drake, Drake Jackson dropped into coverage. And USC was able to blitz off the other side. They shifted their protection towards Drake Jackson because he is so good. And Drake Jackson is doing a lot of things as far as in the run game. He was fantastic in that game. Going back and just rewatching, just if you if you get a chance to watch the sixty minute version, take a chance and record that and just fast forward to the defense and watch every play that he plays. Because he was fantastic in that game, the things he was doing, just throwing offensive linemen off him to, to go make a tackle, holding the, the point of attack, getting outside and, and holding the outside edge, the containment, what you're supposed to do as the edge rusher, um, you know, which was so bad. What, 2014, 2015, USC seemed to never do that. Right. Always give up the edge. Uh, he was great in that. And then going and getting the quarterback on that one. You know, I talked to him about it because one of the adjustments the USC made is those first couple drives. They basically only had the nose tackle with his hand on the ground. Uh, so Tulu Tulu Pelotu and Drake Jackson both were standing up. 
And this is not dropping into coverage versus attacking, but just two-point stance versus three-point stance. Asked him and Vic Soto about it, and they both said it's personal preference. So mm -hmm. Vic gives them the, the freedom to whatever they feel like they can do. And I asked Vic, I was like, well, don't you want them to like perfect one and just focus on one and do that? He said, yeah, that's what they, they start in a three-point stance you know, in fall camp, spring camp, and they work their way up to being able to do both and then give them that freedom. And Drake Jackson's a guy that does both. And he just said, you know, it, it's basically he mixes it up based on who he's going up against and, you know, how he wants to try to attack the offense and try to, you know, create a, you know, find a weakness and, and attack. And the, well, my favorite quote from him was asking him about that strip sack. And he's like, oh, you know, I just want to make a play for my team. I was like, okay, when you beat the tackle, because that was like immediate, just yeah, it was by like, him. Yeah. Uh, I said, what was the thought going through your head? Because he had time to think. There's yeah, a little there's, bit of little space. There's a couple steps left. And he's like, oh. <laughs> he's like go get, yeah, got to get paid. He's like, go get paid or something like that. Uh, you know, going to get the quarterback, and the quarterback never saw him and does a great job. And I think it was Dante that gave him, uh, you know, props again, or maybe it was Vic or one of the one of the defense coaches of of not just going and hitting the quarterback and getting the safety, but going swiping down the arm and creating instead two points, seven points. So it was a great play from them uh, that created that separation because you know USC was only up by seven points at that point. We had a question from Jasper Smith who said, who had a better game against Washington State, Dart last week or Slovis in 2020? I say Slovis last year, Jasper says. It's a great question. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I mean, the, the weird thing is like Slovis might have had even a better game, but they sort of took their foot off the gas like because they started off gangbusters instead of finishing that way. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll agree with Jasper and go Slovis. The answer is simple. Slovis didn't throw five, didn't throw, didn't have three turnovers in True, that game, yeah. and he threw five touchdowns in the first like twenty minutes of the game, yeah. eighteen minutes of the game, something like that. So he had, he completed nineteen consecutive at one point in that mm, game. That was going crazy. into halftime. Um, and if he would have completed like three more, they would have put up two more touchdowns early in the uh, second half. But you know, I, I thought that Slovis was terrific last year, and that's why I tried to. Calm down people a little bit jumping on the Jackson Dart train, you know, full force and, you know, putting all their, you know, putting all their money in the stonk, the, the Jackson start Jackson Dart stonk there, you know. <laughs> what a mouthful. Yeah. yeah you know, a, because. Hard, hard words to say back to back. Because <laughs> Keaton Slovis did the same thing to him last year. And Keaton Slovis struggled last year. Yeah. Time. So, you know, what happens when Dart were to face a different defense, different, you know, looks. We don't know exactly. So that's why I tried to just, just calm down a little bit on the Jackson Dart yeah, train. Yeah. We do think he's going to be special. He has special abilities. But is he the savior? Because I, I got that thrown at me in the uh, mm -hmm. in the Twitter mentions. Thrown at you. Let's calm down with that talk a little bit. Fans get excited, Shotgun. That's what they do. They true. React it's true. Both ways. Uh, we got a question from DEGG who said, What happens if Slovis goes into the game and stinks it up? Is it time to move on? And then he wonders if Harold would even consider that. I mean, so you're saying if the starting quarterback stinks it up, like what's going to happen? Like I think about two weeks ago, like if Slovis had a struggle, like they weren't going to put in Dart. They were going to ride with Slovis. Um, they're going to do the same thing. Like, I, I mean, it would have to be really awful for them to go away with it. Slovis and Harrell are very close. I think Harrell has a lot of confidence in Keaton Slovis. So, I yeah, I, I guess you look at, him being like a wounded animal now because Dart came in and played well. Um, Dart available or not, like I don't think at this point, unless Slovis, you know, if Slovis is starting, he's going to play. And if he has some struggles, I think Harold's going to let him play through it. Did he? Is he a wounded animal because he got hit by a Dart? Keely, <laughs> <laughs> uh, why are you shaking your head at me? It, it was good, I guess. <laughs> Coley has a question about another Pac-12 matchup. He says, UCLA is at Stanford this week. Why are the Bruins 4.5 favorites? Who do you like? Um, yeah, UCLA's not done well at Stanford um, over the I mean, there was Stanford had like a 13-game winning streak or something crazy like that. Uh, yeah, I mean, Stanford, I still don't think it's that good. We'll see. Uh, they have definitely played... Uh, better, but UCLA looked pretty bad. Now, Stanford went on the road and beat a really, really bad Vanderbilt team. Um, that They're awful. Like, And Vanderbilt ran on Stanford. So I what, think UCLA... How can you say anything bad about Vanderbilt when former 24-7 sports 
uh, director of recruiting or whatever it was, Barton Simmons Barton is Simmons now on is staff there. as he their is. director Shouts of which I will root for him. And that's a cool, <laughs> cool stadium. Like uh, if you're in Nashville, that uh, the the hotel is like right up against it. You can stay in the hotel and like overlook the football stadium. It's cool stuff there. I think they'll be fine. Like they, you know, I like the coach they got, but it's going to take a while. But they're they're a bad team, and they actually ran on Stanford, uh, especially early in that game. It was 14-14 with like three minutes left at halftime, and then. Vanderbilt let get let up 13 points in the last like two and a half minutes. It was crazy. Yeah, it was like crazy. They, like they gave up 10 points and then did a, punted and get a long punt return. They get an extra field goal. It was like completely. It sort of was like thrown into Stanford's lap. So UCLA, I think, is still a better team, potentially significantly better team. That's why they would be a favorite. But Stanford won the last game. UCLA lost the last one. That's probably has something to do with it. And Stanford usually plays pretty well against against yeah. Chip Kelly's UCLA teams too. So. Keep an eye on it. I think UCLA should win that game, but I also thought USC would beat up on Stanford. And that wasn't the case. No. That was a terrible performance. I'm curious about Vanderbilt's football stadium. What they need to do, and may, maybe they already have, they, they need to raise the, the field up to the, the level of the stands, like the basketball court. So oh, the basketball yeah. court has the sinking <laughs> stands. That just looks like so dangerous. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just flying off into someone. Like, oh, ah. goodness. Uh, Hollow Point had a question about recruiting. He says, how has Clay Hilton's removal affected recruiting? It's like right now it's pretty much like Stan Pat. Like the fact that Dante Williams took over as interim head coach, the big the big names of the class, the couple of five stars, the Devin Browns of the world, like they're still committed. Um, and I think Dante Williams' relationship with those guys, he recruits 25-7, he says, uh, you know, pretty much involved in everyone. That's going to be probably status quo for a while. It's going to change when USC hires a coach, USC fires some assistant coaches or whatever. Like there, that's when things are going to change. Like if you're super tight with this assistant coach and that person's not retained, that recruit might look somewhere else. I mean, there's, there's going to be a lot of, there's going to be a lot of turnover. So I wouldn't worry too much right now. Pretty much standing pat. But uh, when you have a coaching change, there's going to be a lot of turnover. I think uh, there were some reports today from the athletic that they're going to allow like seven extra signees in the signing period if you lose guys from the transfer portal. So you could sign a bigger class. That could change things. There's going to be, you know, you can transfer one time for free. Um, so a coach who comes in could bring a bunch of guys, you know. So I think there's going to be a lot of attrition and turnover when you're, you know, every year in college football, but especially in when you have a coaching change. Yeah, I mean, recruiting isn't, you would think recruiting is just kind of everyone's wait and see, but USC just picked up a commitment from Ephesians Prysock during the game, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, the Bishop Alamany six foot three cornerback, you know, great potential, really raw right now, though. Um, but, you know, I think with Dante on staff and leading the staff, he is going to continue to recruit. Oh, hard. And he has talked about it. He brought up recruiting, I think, four times in the first week. Um, and like head coaches, usually they don't bring up recruiting, mm. they're doing it. But usually they're focused on the games. He is, you know, he's still focused on recruiting as well. He's still got that hat on. So he's going to continue to recruit. And, you know, the thought process, I mean, most of us think, at least that's what I think, is that USC will try to retain Dante Williams in some capacity. You know, if he goes undefeated and wins a national championship, that'll be as a head coach. If not, then they may do it in some different capacity. But they'll try to retain him, so he's going to continue recruiting. And if USC's and men has already told him that, he can sell that to recruits too. And he's the guy that has a lot of those recruits, uh, you know, that are committed to USC's class right now. They did lose DeAnthony Gatson, um, Gaston, Gatson. I can't remember which way. Gatson, I believe. Um, the the Newton, uh, Texas running back. So you know they do need to find running backs in this class as well because Vi will be gone. County Ingram, I think, has another year, but he could potentially leave as well. So uh, they do need to get on the running back recruiting as well. I'm going to enter into rapid fire mode. We're almost at the top of the hour. Yeah, we'll keep this one tight. I like it. Tim had a question. How strong is Oregon State's defensive line, especially at nose tackle? I think they will drop eight, and USC will have to run them out of it. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. It's not been a great defense. Now, they got a shutout against Iowa, but they're, they're pretty much – up and down. I think Purdue did some some good things against them up front, but um, yeah, I, I'm curious to see what kind of coverages they run. Uh, we've seen man, you know, fail a lot. Are they just going to drop more guys into zones and you know see what they can do and try to get some pressure with four or five up front? You know, I mean, 
the the nose tackle position is really key against USC, I think, because if you can push that pocket back, it changes a lot of what USC can do. You saw that with Tonga. You saw that with uh, Lecky Foto at times in the Utah game. Um, and you Oregon State under Mike Riley would always have a really good defensive tackle. You wouldn't know much about him, but he could definitely hold his own and push the pocket back. I don't know if they've had that same type of uh, nose tackle heritage. I they've guess. had more be- like, better like linebackers. Like I think uh, I forget the guy's name from last year, but he's in the Hamilton. Hamilton. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's, no, I forget. But I mean, they've had they've had more playmakers. I think at the linebacker spot than some of the defensive linemen. But it's definitely something to watch. We got a question from Big T, who said, "Was Dart's injury the O line's fault?" Many on the parasol have said it was the O line. I disagree on that specific play. No, the play he got injured on was a read option. The defensive end attacked the running back, and he did what he's supposed to do, and he went and picked up, you know, I think six, seven, eight yards on it. And the DB, instead of trying to hit him, dove right at his legs. So, Yeah, it wouldn't be on the offensive line. No, that was definitely not on the offensive line. Slowest one, yes. Gabe said, uh, what former USC quarterback would you compare Miller Moss to in terms of play style? People always bring up like Cody Kessler, but I don't think that's fair. I mean, he's definitely more athletic. I mean, in the spring, it was Cody Kessler because he was checking down a lot. He was. Um, But that was one of the things they told him after the spring is, hey, we want you to take more shots. So he did that in the fall. So I don't think that's an apt comparison. You would know this better because it feels like I've only known like four USC quarterbacks (laughs) because usually when someone takes over, they're there for like three years. And it's funny, like Kessler was actually somewhat athletic. Like he could dunk a basketball like when he was in like eighth grade or something. But we never really saw that. And maybe it was just what the offense was. Uh, But I think Moss is more uh, athletic than that. But he's like IQ-wise, like he's a smart quarterback. I think he's, you know, you could compare him to Kessler that way. And uh, I think he's pretty accurate and can, you know, I think there's some definitely similarities with uh, with what Kessler, you know, can do. But we saw him in the fall throw the v- football down the field more and, and make some big plays. Um, so we'll see. You know, maybe we'll get an opportunity to see a little bit more of him. And fans can be enamored, enamored with him just like they were with uh, Jackson Dart, you know. <laughs> uh, any more rapid fire questions? Get them in. We had a question from Coley who said, is it just me or are we a bit underwhelmed by Arizona State will they improve this year Ryan I feel like you always have the ASU hot takes <sighs> yeah um <laughs> shotgun just answering very, very visually I mean there was a it was pretty much a clunker right I mean they played two tomato cans and then you play an actual team and then it's just tomato like tomato cans yeah they're just bad um I don't know I mean that there's a lot of distractions going on uh, with Arizona State. And, you know, having three coaches suspended, it's, it's not super easy. Like, there was, you know, they had good candidates they could backfill with and stuff. But it's similar to, like, when, remember when Clay Helton, like, had to fire, like, the defensive staff. And then you're preparing for the Holiday Bowl with, you know, strength coaches as your defensive line and things like that. Like, you feel a little bit like that, even though these were kind of junior guys. But you you can't ignore something that's as big as this NCAA investigation where there's news coming out every week. It just was announced this week, or one of the reports came out that they're going to start interviewing the staff members at Arizona State from the, uh, you know starting next month. They really were focused. The NCAA was focused on the prospects that like potentially visited when it was during COVID and they shouldn't have. And the NCAA has stuff they can hold over those kids because like they could make them not eligible if they're not going to talk. So potentially damning testimony there you're probably hearing more and more stuff about this so i to me it's just like this cloud hanging over uh the program and they you know the first time they played a real team they just didn't look that good so we'll see you know usc has to go on the road to play asu um i mean it could be one of the tougher games on the schedule or by the time usc plays them it could be you know some disarray up there in tempe we had a question from sorry shotgun go for it they had three consecutive false starts late in the lot. fourth quarter of a one-possession game. Hmm. The 17 penalties for 130-something yards. Well, that's like, all I thought it was like 19. But still, 17-19, oh. still terrible. And they had four turnovers. And he, even when they got a turnover, they gave the ball back. Terrific play. Yeah. Algar play from Colorado. BYU. Colorado had 63 yards of offense. And Arizona State had 130-something. <laughs> I got a little Shocking sick just got yes. sick. <laughs> These are the two people on USC schedule. And then... Arizona State had 132 yards of penalties, so twice as many Yikes. penalty yards as Colorado had offensive yards against Minnesota. You know, like at home. This wasn't like they didn't go on the road. They didn't play like. Well, that means Pac-12 refs. Yeah. Oh no, you're talking about Colorado. Yeah, right. Colorado yeah. hosted Minnesota, 30 to nothing, beat down 62 yards of offense. 
Pac-12 refs. We got a question from Steven who said, is Drake London the best wide receiver in the nation? I haven't really watched enough national college football, but he's, I would say he's in the competition. I mean, he's in the conversation. Yeah, he's, if the season ended right now, he'd probably win the Belitnikov. Um, That's how good he's been. He's, but he's also got the most targets. He's got the most catches. He's got the most yards. He's being the usage is way up there. He's, he's also lead. You know, he's also he's tied for the nation lead in drops because he's being used so much. He's got like right. five. He had like three drops or what were classified as three drops. One of them is like leaping up and it's off fingertips. It's like that's a drop. Come on, but yeah. Washington State. That's what their their scoring gave it to him. Um, wet ball. We'll give him. We'll give him an excuse since he had what thirteen catches. We'll give him an excuse for that one. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he's he's in the top in a number of categories. But part of that is how much he's being thrown to. So then it becomes a little bit of a concern about one just the wear and tear. Yes. Outside of the big hits that he's taken, you know, he's he took he's taken a lot of big hits in his career, um, and he's because he, and one of the things that maybe he needs to do a little bit better. Uh, I think I mentioned this to Keely and Chris was that. Every once in a while, he doesn't just get down. Go down, yeah. He's so big and he's so difficult to tackle. But like when he comes in on a slant or he catches one of those balls over the middle where he's stationary and the first guy gets him and they can't get him down, there were a couple times where like defense tackles were coming and they're head hunting. You know, they're like, "Oh, I get to hit a receiver. I'm all about this." And especially somebody like Drake London because he's big, it's not going to look as bad, so they don't have the fear of, of a targeting penalty. Oftentimes, so he he may need to learn a little bit better to. You know, when that second guy gets there, let's just go ahead and, and go yeah. down because you don't want to get twisted up like the, the San Jose State was trying to do to yeah. him. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the big shots that Washington State was trying to give to him. So, you know, that's something he may need to continue to progress in as a receiver to, to save a little wear and tear on the body. Nice. Mm-hmm. We got multiple questions about LTG, Larry Turner Gooden, who decommitted from ASU today. They want to know, what does that mean for USC? I mean, I talked to Larry uh, a couple weeks ago when I went and saw Alamany play at Oaks Christian and you know USC is one of the schools that was in the mix for him still that he was going to you know still talking to he said it's home it's a hometown school uh, he has a great relationship with Dante um, so you know he he decommitted right after coming off a Penn State visit though yeah you know I've heard good things about that Penn State visit haven't they have the number one class in the country right now yep. Penn State yeah it's like their head coach people know that name around here too yeah don't get Ryan started <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know, I haven't read Greg Biggins' piece, but he I think he talked to Larry earlier or just, you know, was able to get an update on that. So check that out on, on USCfootball.com as well. But, yeah, USC will be in the mix there. The question, though, is how many DBs are going to take in this class? You know, he's a guy that he projects as a safety. They're still looking at Zion Branch from Bishop Gorman, a couple other guys. So, you know, where does he fit in that mix? Do they want to take him if they, you know, they run out of spots at that safety spot? We got the question from D.D. Diego, who said, why can't Dante recruit four-star or five-star offensive linemen and D-linemen? Well, he hasn't coached those positions, and he's been the head coach for 11 days or something. So, you know. Hey, that's how long it was. Break. How long was after 2019 season? Yeah. <laughs> I would say, like, a decision on you don't know you blame, like, when people would blame, like, T. Martin for something. Like, T. Martin was, like, recruiting everybody. Like, he had to, to carry way more than his weight. I think Dante Williams is... He's on a much better staff around him now to help recruiting, um, but yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't put that on his on his shoulders. Yeah, it's he much, helps out in all that stuff. Yeah, it's much easier to recruit your own position than the guys you're actually going to coach. Now, if he becomes the head coach, he'll be recruiting those guys as well. But you need your position coaches; those are the primary recruiters usually. Um, so, because those are the guys that a prospect is going to be working with every single day. Coley White's like putting the beaver emojis all over the comments and stuff. So, by the way, if you're in there, like, like whatever you're thinking. Like, hit subscribe. That, like, that helps us but, out. Yeah, Coley's loving the beaver emoji. It's such a cool mascot, you know, like Oregon beaver. State. Yeah, Oregon State beavers. Except for when you're at Oregon State and you just hear, uh, what's that called? A chainsaw. 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 Oh, rawr, 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 yeah, third it's, down. It's a little, it's a little much, but I, to each their own. I understand. Uh, Rain21 said, is Ishmael Slopshire practicing again and when will he be back? No, don't know. We have not. We did not. I don't. Did you we didn't see him this him. week? I did see him this week. Yes, okay. but he. I don't think he had full pads. Like his shorts weren't actually padded. So. Yeah, I mean, this is one of those sign. things where it just sort of like, it, it we're like another couple of weeks of this, or if he gets to the bye week, there's like it's probably not happening this season. You know, like that's what you would think, but. I'm not sure. Um, yeah, well, we'll see. We'll update you when we see him yes. out there actually doing full. When we stuff. get an update, we'll be sure to tell you guys. Yeah. That's kind of our. Our jobs here. Uh, I just want to give a shout out to Andrew Hogue, who just asked really unique, interesting questions this week. Uh, first off, Shotgun, how many hard drive, how many photos do you have on your hard drive? 
on my hard drive, I don't know. I mean, my, on my computer, there's like 25,000, which is why my computer is very slow right now because uh, I got to continue to get rid of them. But on my hard drive, it's it's a five terabyte hard drive. So there's a lot. Wow. Yeah. It's got like more than six, 12. Six to eight years of photos Ooh. on it. Uh, he also asked, do you guys feel like you ran out of questions to ask Helton because you already knew the canned answer? Uh, I mean, it's funny. When Dan Weber was, was with us before he retired, he's doing the columns again, which is great. Good to see Dan back. He got frustrated sometimes. He's like, I just don't even want to ask any questions anymore just because you felt like you weren't getting answers. And I get it. Sometimes you just, you know, you try, but just weren't really able to get much out of them. But I don't feel like we ran out of questions. It was like, we kind of know what's going to be the answer. Yeah. I could ask that, but I know I know what he's going to say. Yeah. yeah. It was, you weren't going to get much. I mean, I stopped attending the postgame pressers because I was like, I probably get more out of other people than hearing what Clay had to say live. So, yeah. Um, he also wanted to know, and Shotgun, I know this is something you've been begging for, merch. He said, Tunnel Vision shirts for sale soon? Question mark? <sighs> working on it, maybe. Yeah, we could work on some of that. Also, people wanted a Tunnel Vision ringtone. It's intense, people. <laughs> a ringtone? Yeah. Is that, is that a thing still? People have ringtones? Do people talk on the phones anymore? Does just, your phone <laughs> ring when, it, when, you, when someone calls <laughs> you? just text now i don't even talk on the phone <laughs> no one calls me no one calls me i, I use the phone for my, like i don't you sound what, like my father what i don't get no one is calls me like, ever i leave i have i don't get a lot of voicemails we get some but i had set up my voicemail like so many people don't even set up their voicemail i don't yeah like it's a feature like you don't want to you know you just don't want voicemails it's like nope i'd rather i think it's just like a if someone gets my number i don't want them to fully know it's me until i answer Oh, okay. Privacy. Shotgun, you are a private man. You should understand that. Okay. I'm just saying. Um, I'm going to take us out with the final question from Bill, uh, and it'll lead us into our game predictions. He says, can you paint a picture of Saturday's game, USC's offense versus Oregon State's defense, and Oregon State's offense versus USC's defense? What can we expect to see on the field, and what do you predict for the score? Before you actually answer this question, I think I need to pick my hair out and go Bob Ross to, to paint this picture. Oh, yeah, I like that. Do it. Yeah. <laughs> the fluffy little cloud. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I wish I knew. Like, I just don't. Um, I, I think you're going to see Oregon State have some, you know, drives that USC stymies, but have some successful drives too. And I think on both sides, if you can force some field goals as opposed to touchdowns, I think you can – you know, obviously, the more field goals in the game, it's going to be better for Oregon State. Uh, USC has to get back on that role of like scoring on some big plays, but uh, and not stalling in in the red zone. I just think Oregon State's going to be a little bit better team of forcing them to make some of those mistakes and maybe make them make a you know convert a third and ten. Where at Washington State, they just were, were didn't force that all that often. So I think it's going to be a closer game. I think it's going to be like a 35-31 kind of game uh, for USC. So a win, but you know, closer than maybe you think. I think USC's defense will play better than 31 points. I think, okay. they, got, I think they got something to prove after what happened in the Coliseum the last time. So I think the defense will play a little bit better. I do think it's going to be closer than people expect. This 10.5-point spread, I don't know where I want to go with that. Same. Um, I'm around 10 points. So I huh? think that I think that Oregon State will cover. Maybe it'll be, be a late touchdown or something. Maybe USC will be up and they'll cover. But I think they'll cover. And it could be a very close game depending on – if we see a confident Keaton Slovis slinging it around or not, there's USC. Just there's this wild ride, like just for Washington State. You just didn't know, like yeah, eight, it was like eight and a half points or nine points. I'm like, I'm just gonna take the points. I was the only one that did. I ended up being wrong. Like, the beginning of the game looked brilliant, right? It's fourteen nothing, and then I was confident. It just like around. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to give out to, a shout out to Big T, who has a merch idea: a shotgun baseball cap with stock neutral on the front. I'll buy. I love it. Perfect idea. So great. Stock New so Nation, we out here. So happy about we this. out here. Alrighty, that's gonna wrap it up. We previewed it all. I know people came in late and were asking questions about dark. We addressed it at the top of the show and in the middle. If you want to go back and watch it, be sure to like and subscribe. That helps us out. We'll be back on Sunday to recap the game. That's gonna wrap it up for tonight. That's Shotgun. That's Ryan. I'm Keely. We'll see y'all next time. Bye. Okay. Picture this: It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with h track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. 
Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.